Again, we're under a little bit of time pressure tonight, so I want to bring Greg Dibb up, who's uh, the Senior Manager um, of Operations and Strategy here at, at the Nissan Silicon Valley Research Center. He's been with Nissan for nine years um, in various capacities, originally started down in Southern California, moved to Franklin when headquarters uh, moved out there, uh, has been at various locations in the country, and is just here recently, right? Yeah, okay. So he's going to give an overview of what they do here. So, Greg. Thanks, Howard. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Um, I was super excited to – you guys are, like, famous at Nissan. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Like, we get updates about you in our monthly communication email updates. In fact, I'll show one at the end of my presentation. Um, I, I will say, though, um, my son didn't know about you. And so when I was telling my wife – that I was going to be speaking to the Bayleafs, my son got super excited and ran back and got his Pokemon encyclopedia and, and came back. And now he thinks I'm so cool, and I didn't have the heart to tell him it was a different thing. So, so if any of you ever meet my son, don't tell him, all right? Don't tell him the difference. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so first I was I was going to tell a little bit about um, a little bit about manufacturing because I actually came here in December for manufacturing. Now, given the time, I'm not going to show the cool video, but I, I think one thing that, that's exciting about the Nissan Leaf is that now we build it in Smyrna, Tennessee. We build it here in the U.S. and it's built on the same lines as the Nissan as the Nissan Altima and the Nissan Maxima, which is pretty cool. And so I just came out here in December. And actually, the job immediately before this one, I was a production manager, um, actually on the truck assembly line. But at the same time, they were doing the prototype builds for the Leaf, and we were all very excited about it. Of course, the battery plant was built there um, over the last several months. But uh, having the Nissan Leaf in Smyrna has actually been very exciting for Nissan. And it's, it's one of the reasons that I think we can build it so economically, because uh, we've made our line flexible enough that we can fluctuate between Altima Maxima and, and the LEAF, which is pretty innovative. My background is, and, and my, my uh, grad school was actually in systems engineering and, and manufacturing management. And so I studied uh, what's, what's called lean manufacturing. Are there any manufacturing people in here? I'm just curious. Two, all right. <laughs> and have you heard of lean manufacturing before? Okay, good. So I, I'm kind of, the, I'm the one Nissan North America, or I should say the first. There are more joining us. Uh, from Tennessee that came here to Sunnyvale for this research facility. Um, but because I've been in a few different groups, I'm kind of the connection back to the auto business, as well as um, what I hope to do is take some of what we've learned in the Nissan production way and apply it to Nissan research. And what I've learned is there's actually a lot of um, things that relate. So for one thing, Nissan, Nissan production way talks about always being in sync with customers. And you can see there's one, two, and three, synchronization of quality so that uh, – we don't accept defects, we don't build defects, we don't pass them on. Synchronization of cost. In other words, we're not going to spend resources on things that our customers don't care about. And synchronization of time. We don't do things before they want it, we don't do things after they want it. We try to be in sync. So what I've learned is uh, that's very similar, obviously, to our research efforts. So here we're looking at things that are 5, 10, 15 years in the future, but we need to be connected with people such as yourselves that are users and maybe even early adopters and, and um, those with e even better understanding of the usefulness of product, what issues there might be, what things we can do to improve. And so, so our goal, of course, here 
is you can see what we call the lean research cycle, which is the plan part is a scenario development. What's a scenario where we might use this technology? Um, this is a really hard word to say, so I'll try it here. Ethnographical user observation. In other words, we actually watch you or we interview you, we talk to you, we learn what it is, how you would use this technology. And then, of course, the design of the prototype and the design of the product that we would want to build is based on those human needs, on those human factors. And then, of course, we actually want to do real tests in the real world. And then based on what we learn from those real tests, we then do another scenario. And it's a, it, the point is fast research cycles yield faster learning, yields better products. So this research center here is actually, uh, we're, we're the newest research center. Uh, you've got one, we've got a new research center in Russia, in India, uh, of course in Michigan, and Japan historically has been where the primary amount of research has happened, and as a new strategy, we're starting to distribute some of that research work. And this facility primarily focuses on three things that we'll talk about here. The main thing I'm going to talk about is autonomous vehicles, because that's really our, our priority and the one we're starting with, but also connected vehicle servi services and HMII, or human machine interface and interaction. And really, they're all, you know, they're all interwoven in lots of different ways. I'm primarily going to talk a little bit about autonomous vehicles, because that's the one that we've gotten started on first and the one that I'm most excited about, and the one I pre pre prepared slides for. So, um, so this is the first known visual concept of an autonomous vehicle. And it's kind of cool, oh, it's, it's a little hard to see, but you can see this guy in the front here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna point with my mouse, does that work? It looks, you know, it looks like he has an iPad. Has anybody else noticed that? How cool is that? I mean, I, I seriously think he's playing Angry Birds on an iPad, <laughs> which is even more foresightful than putting an autonomous vehicle, I would say. And then she's reading a book, he's cleaning windows, I don't know, but it was, but, I thought this was pretty cool. 1918, it's in the Scientific American, you know, talking about this, this idea, you know, only 15 years after you know, Henry Ford's Model T. So now, and this is the first, unless you count this, right? So as I've been, I've been researching autonomous vehicles, I, I, I read a particular article, and there was a comment from a guy who said, oh, man, my grandfather had autonomous vehicles in the 19th century. And he talked about how he had, he, like, he ran a warehouse that delivered goods to to general stores around Germany. So this is in the 1800s. And, the, and because he ran the same route, like, every, every day, the oxen knew the route, and they would even stop in front of the store for the exact amount of time to unload goods, and then they'd start going again. So he'd have to, you know, so he could sleep on the cart. He could, he could go do something else and hop back on before the oxen left. So that's qualified by the fact, and this might be a new research domain for us, is the use of oxen in autonomous vehicles. So... So th this is pretty cool, too. If you look, you know, after that initial picture, you look at what you can see. Uh, 1939 World, World, World's Fair is where people really started to, to hear and see this concept. You know, gosh, it must be close. At least they thought in 1939. And then by 1953, in Driving the Dream, they actually had the, This is pretty cool. It's this scale model highway system. You know, I, these World's Fairs must have been cool. Um, but you can see the idea has been around for a long time. Now... DARPA, which is an acronym for the government has a lot of money to do cool things, right? um, created, created the DARPA Grand Challenge in 2005, which really helped kickstart a lot of this technology. And uh, Stanley, which is Stanford's car, actually won in 2005. So this is through the Mojave Desert. No driver. You have a map. 
they put obstacles in the road, and the car has to figure out how to get around them and, and get to the end. That was pretty cool, and PBS did a show on that. Now, the Discovery Channel did the one on the 2007, which is the DARPA Grand Urban Challenge, which was really pretty cool. And i got to show this video. Hold on, let me see. I hope this works. Uh-oh. I don't know what that says, Koji. <laughs> what does it say? Windows Media Player has gone has, uh, has crashed. Does not work on this machine? Oh, well, that's too bad. It wasn't that good a video anyway. Okay. <laughs> Hold on. So the good news, as, as I say right here, you can watch it on Netflix and YouTube. And uh, but it, it's honestly like so. When I first heard about this center, I started watching this show. It's a Discovery Channel show on RoboCars, and uh, it, it it's really exciting to watch. You know, it's like your typical reality TV where they make everything seem exciting, um, and everything's dramatic with dramatic music. So, but it's super exciting because you have I think it was thirteen finalists in. Uh, that actually made it to this abandoned Air Force base in Southern, in Southern California, which is another thing that the government has a lot of. And, and, and there's this urban course, and so there's four-way stops, and there's you know, little obstacles they put in the road that you might find in the city, much more complex than going through a desert. And uh, CMU, or Carnegie Mellon's vehicle, actually won this race. So, uh, again, I, I recommend you, you check it out. It's, it's a pretty exciting little season series t- to watch. And, again, that helped jumpstart research, that helped jumpstart the technology into autonomous vehicles. So these are a couple of shots. And and the other good thing about the DARPA Challenge is pretty much all their stuff is made available publicly, and that's part of kickstarting the technology. So you can look look at these papers, and you can see um, what kind of technology they use. Now, this this is six years old at this point, but – and the things that we're working on are very similar. This is just easier to show for now. So, and this might have been impressive in 2007, a four gigabyte flash drive, right? Or two gigabytes of memory. But um, since now those are like $5 at Fry's. But hey, that's part of, that's, honestly, that's part of what's making this possible now, right? So even though they dreamed about it in the 30s, part of what's making it possible is massive amounts of storage, massive amounts of computational power, so that, so that, when you have oops, so when you have these sensors, all these sensors on the computer, seeing this, you have the computational power to try to figure out what that is, and and here, basically what the you know what the CPUs are all doing is they're bringing in the input from the sensors, they're calculating an optimum route, uh, basically, so basically the way it works is you can see the red and the black those are high what they consider what the computer considers high cost routes, i.e. you might lose your car that's expensive, so. <laughs> Go, go where it's white, right? And, and so that's, the, that's what's starting to make this possible, is all, you know, Moore's Law, really. It's giving us all this computational power and all of this storage, and it's increasing at an accelerating rate. So, Okay, so obviously the biggest benefit, or one of the biggest benefits of autonomous vehicles is, is the safety, right? And there's, there are a few different stages of autonomous vehicles and that, that is in our research plan. So... The, f- the first, and we've got stuff like this now, and I'll give examples, is driver-initiated. In other words, I turn on the adaptive cruise control or I turn on some feature, and then the car does its function, right? Um, now, the other thing that gets a little more interesting, and these are, we have some of these on the market now, um, and every once in a while it might, you know, it might freak people out, but in general, they're, they improve the safety. And I'm not going to say in general. Almost always they improve the safety of the vehicle. So... Car initiated, where the car sees that there's something dangerous and it basically takes over, it intervenes. 
And, and a middle step there is where the car sees something and it alerts you, right? So there's a lot of those out there. Well, the next step after seeing and alerting, the next is I see, you know, I, the car, see it, and I'm, I'm overriding you. So that happens in a few things. One of, well, I'll, I'll show specifics in the next slide. You know, and, and obviously the great thing about this is a fewer number of accidents. People who are impaired, now a lot of people think that means driving drunk, which, you know, that doesn't usually make people, um, that doesn't usually touch the soft spot in their heart for a new technology. But more so than that is the aging population, right? So I know an awkward time in, in a family's life is when you have to take the keys away from, from grandpa, right? Well, this, hopefully, we can get this technology to the point where instead of taking the keys away from grandpa, it's giving him a new keys of a leaf that's autonomous, right? And, and so it's, it's actually an, an exciting moment, and not just, not just those that are, you know, aging uh, or maybe, but also vision impaired. And so there's a popular Google video, for example, that Google's done with uh, a person that's visually impaired. And there's all kinds of possibilities for that, which, of course, drive us to develop this technology. And then, the ob you know, another one that, that selfishly increase productivity um, is that, gee, during my morning commute, I can do whatever I want while the car drives me there, you know, or on a road trip or whatever it is, or like the guy in the, in the picture playing on your iPad, Angry Birds. And, and part of what our, our philosophy is, which I think you might see a little different from other companies that are developing this, is, is the, the car and, and the person or the driver as, as teammates. And this is a lot of where um, a lot of people we've hired uh, have come from NASA, where where they've worked and focused on this this teammate concept. Um, when in artificial intelligence, this this thing or this um, either, either machine or computer acts as an agent on your behalf, and you actually work together as a team. And so the example that we use is an equestrian and a horse, right? So it's so the car is not going to do things that that scare me or that I don't understand if it's designed well with those human factors, to, we communicate back and forth, and it's like an equestrian in the horse where they're always communicating. It it's, flows smoothly. There's nothing awkward about it, right? And that's, that's part of the research we have to focus on. So um, how, how long, well, I'll, I'll just say this. Autonomous vehicles are actually here, right? Some of the examples I gave, like adaptive cruise control, we've got on vehicles, we've had them for, they've been driving people crazy for a few years now. So, um, but they're getting better. And I wanted to show, Nissan has a concept called the safety shield. And there's a lot of examples of, of these semi-autonomous technologies that, uh, that we have in our vehicles and that you will see soon. So one, for example, this one, uh, backup collision intervention. We have this on a couple of vehicles. So if you're backing out of your driveway, and this one means a lot to me now because I have kids that love to somehow escape from the garage and ride their bike you know, down the sidewalk and back before I can catch them. Well, if a car is backing up out of the driveway, and you know, they got bushes because they got annoying neighbors, so as they're backing up, they don't see the kid on a bike coming through, but the car can see it because the bumper emerges from those, from those shrubs. It, it sees something there, and rather than just alert, hey, you might want to look, it actually stops the car. Right? It actually stops the car. Um, You've also got emergency assist for pedal misapplication, which I, I, I know from experience from some friends happens a lot, you know, and um, where you're pulling into a parking spot and you think you're stomping on the brake or you meant to stop on the brake and you accidentally stomp on the gas. Well, the car can figure out, hmm, I'm in a parking lot. I don't think you meant to do that. Uh, I'm going to wait. 
then of course blind spot intervention and warning we've got that on vehicles now where again it will either it will either alert you or override you when you try to change into a lane and there's a car there in your blind spot right lane departure that's we've had that that's been around for a while forward emergency braking similar to backup collision um, just in the front now this is a cool one and I wonder oh shoot now the video probably won't work on this one hold on <coughs> Uh, it's this one right here. I'm going to try a new trick called open with. Wait. If it exists in Japanese. Yeah. Oh, hey, look at that. Okay, and there's even cool music on here, which I cannot take credit for, nor would I. Okay, so this is the autonomous emergency steering system which is also pretty cool. So let's say you're, and this actually, an accident like this, similar like this happened to my dad because as you drive from Nashville to Atlanta, Chattanooga is always backed up for some reason. And so you're driving along at 70 miles an hour, you know, you're doing, you're thinking about who knows what, and then all of a sudden cars are dead stopped in front of you. This happens, right? Well, heck, you guys are in California. This happens to you every day. Um, so here's an example of where, again, computers and sensors see this happening and then intervene. See, pretty cool, huh? So again, you see, and in this case, it gives you a little bit of alert and then it just, it takes over and, and steers. Now, it does have sensors see, to know I'm clear on the left side. Usually, it would be like a shoulder of a road, perhaps, or something like that, but I'm clear on the left and on the left back, left front, and I'm able to go. So... So again, that's another example of Nissan Safety Shield. Okay. Okay, so we're almost there, right? At least maybe we could say that. Um, however, there's just a few small small issues to work out um, before we're completely at the fully autonomous state. Now, um, what do you guys think is the, are the biggest, uh, how do I say, obstacles to, yeah? Legal. Legal, there you go. Yeah, and I, you know, I like lawyers. It's like they say deep down they're all good people, which is which is why they bury them ten feet down. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I mean, and and I don't know if you're going to say any more, but I spoiled what I was already going to say, which is society is society accept them. And in fact, Cisco did a did a survey just gosh a couple months ago, and different countries are are widely varied on on whether or not they would accept. At least they say that they would accept autonomous vehicles. So Brazil was like the number one country. You know, yeah, they, they want one now. You know, I don't care if it breaks, put me in it now. Um, and, uh, you know, other countries were, were less enthusiastic. The U.S. is somewhere in the middle. And, in fact, a lot of people think that, uh, that autonomous vehicles might be implemented first in places like China, in urban areas in China, or, or places where the litigious society isn't as hyperactive as it is here. So, right? And, and uh, our... My friend Brad Templeton, as he says, you know, on the balance, it's a good thing, right? Uh, but but so let's say that let's say autonomous vehicles can stop you know stop half of the wrecks, but maybe they still cause some. You know, as as Brad Templeton says, people don't like getting killed by robots. Is you know is his quote, and and so they would rather get killed by. Um, by a person who makes a bad decision than a robot that makes a bad decision. And that's part of society, obviously. Um, now, the good news is, is I actually did – I went to a, a We Robot 
conference at Stanford Law School just a couple months ago. And it was actually encouraging to see there are lawyers out there that specialize in these things. In fact, we had one, Brian, I can't think of his last name right now, from Stanford that's, that's focused on this kind of thing right now. And it was encouraging to see the legal world excited about this and looking for ways to make the, and, and enable this. Yeah. Well, to make money off of it. No. Maybe that's what they were doing. Darn it. Should have known. Those punks. I'm just kidding. Okay, so just a couple of examples real fast. Actually, I'll just skip through most of this. So, you know, we got, you got self-parking. You got simple stuff, which is going to happen first, semi-autonomous. The car can park itself. Nissan demonstrated this at SeaTech last year, um, this little leaf right here. You know, you got traffic jam assist. That's, that's on its way. Driving on a highway is pretty simple. You know, I mean, there's, the simple stuff is, is almost here. It's, it's practically here. Um, then you've got the slightly more complex where you're doing stuff as a service, where you use autonomous vehicles and car sharing. You know, maybe the only thing they do autonomous is they go back home at, at 3 a.m. when it, the roads aren't crowded, and they can handle that because that's simple. Um, the real exciting stuff is people own their own autonomous vehicles. So I can go on a road trip. Now, that has its pluses and minuses if you have kids. It's nice when I'm the driver and there's a fight in the back. I can, you know, I can ask my passenger to take care of that. But, but if the car is driving, I would, have to, I would have to help resolve those things and you know, figure out whose chicken nugget that really was. Um, but... But there's you know, a, a lot of opportunity, and this is obviously further down the road, but reduced collisions. And now, if there, are, if there aren't so many collisions, now the vehicles can be lighter. They don't need as many safety features, right? So you're going to save money on that. Insurance should be cheaper unless, you know, unless the, the, the lawyers get hyperactive. Um, and, and then, and then you know, the, just again, the flexible in-cabin time, you can, you can use that time for other things. Obviously, we talked about age and disabled passengers. So... And then, of course, the you know, fully, fully autonomous is it doesn't need a driver there to take over in case there's an emergency if it goes into safe mode. It's, it can go by itself in full traffic anytime. So this is uh, our uh, autonomous vehicle that we were working on. Stay tuned because you saw our little research cycle. We plan to do some, some public demos sometime in the near future. Can't say specifically when or what, but it should be coming up soon. So I, Maybe. <laughs> In California, probably. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, we'll, when it's when it's public, public, we'll we'll certainly invite you guys. So, uh, how, what next? I just want to let you guys know a little pitch about um, about a podcast. We have a meeting here. You know, we have we have speaker series here, and we record it. Certain groups might might specifically be invited in person, but we make it available on iTunes for podcasts. So, search iTunes for Driving Innovation. Um, I also lead a meetup group called uh, Silicon Valley Autonomous Vehicle Enthusiasts. And we, Brad Templeton, the guy I talked about just earlier, he spoke last month. And that's available on the podcast and also on this website. Um, I, I wanted to thank everybody for, for inviting me here um, my, uh, to speak. I figured it was because I was made famous by the, when we made it in the newspaper. I was at the Western Automotive Journalist Conference. And that's my foot right there. Um, I was... I was, I was so excited. I sent this picture to all my friends and said I'm on the newspaper here in California. Yeah. Oh, oh, these are hey, coffee pots. Yeah. Well, they don't have quite the technology we do. Um, this is yeah. So these are our little Epro robots right here, and these these are those uh, uh, laser or those uh, laser sensors, by the way, laser sensors, which are basically you have spinning mirrors, or in this in this case, rotating mirrors, and lasers on multiple lines that are very good at detecting an obstacle and knowing exactly its location. So, and 
pretty much everybody uses the same kind of sensors. Um, and I skipped through that slide pretty quick. But um, come to find out, it wasn't because of my being un prominently figured on the newspaper. But, um, but it was un unfortunately, Martin had to be out of town last minute. So um, maybe it had something to do with that. And so he asked me, and I had a video of Martin. Is this going to work? Because Martin really wanted to say something. So I got I'm going to let you do that again. Play that again. It's going. Okay, here we go. Hi, good evening. I'm Martin Searhouse, the director of uh, Nissan Research Center Silicon Valley, and I want to uh, wish you a warm welcome here at the Research Center for, to all the members of the SF Bay Leafs. Um, we're really excited to have you guys here, have your, your monthly meeting. Um, I wish I could be there in person, but uh, as I'm speaking, I'll be on a plane back from Seattle to San Francisco and I apologize for not being there. I do want to tell you, however, that we are hoping to uh, have you collaborate with us in the future on exciting research projects where we would use your expertise and knowledge of your cars to work together on you know, great research projects to make the LEAF even a better car than it is today. So hopefully we can, uh, can work together in, in many different ways and I'll make sure that next time you have a meeting you know, I'll be there in person, and we can, uh, you know, we hopefully can talk about this in more detail. Uh, I wish you a lot of fun tonight, and please let us know if we can be of any help. Uh, thank you again for coming, and enjoy the evening. Okay, so, and with that, um, this is a cool picture. This is, the, this is one of the pictures that was emailed to us a couple months ago. That, I thought that was, that was a brilliant picture. Um, so, as, uh, as the title says, let's sync and innovate together, and as Martin said, I know he's very excited to, to work, work with uh, this group in the future. Um, our, our goal is to be very customer focused and develop, develop technologies and research that matters to people. And so, um, thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Is Japan in yet, or not yet? So uh, I guess while we're waiting for Japan, we'll take some. Uh, Greg, can you take questions? Oh, yeah, I I okay, <laughs> good. Uh, Tom, um, I was wondering, is, is the Leaf uh, drive-by-wire enough that to make an autonomous vehicle? You just have to put computers in to talk on uh, buses, or you actually have to put a servo someplace? So, where's where's Yoshi? Where's my helper? So it's drive-by-wire, but it's not steer-by-wire, which is what you need, right? So you have to make a few. You have to make a few changes. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm just wondering, uh, driving in a severe storm, honestly, I think you can sight So it depends on the sensors, right? Um, and most of the sensors that you have in your autonomous vehicle are usually are usually the laser sensors that I mentioned, like a Velodyne, and those that the weather hardly affects them at all. Now cameras, weather can affect cameras. Um, but we're developing computer vision that can get around that too. So um, usually by a multitude of sensors, and then what you do is you, you, you take the computers to um, merge that data and interpret, and then basically you calculate a probability of what's happening, and your probability is so high once you've, once you've merged the data from all these different sensors that you make a 99.999% decision that you're doing the right thing. Yes? So the way, how do you, the question was, how, how do you handle snow? So the way it's handled now, 
is that you have very detailed maps, right? And, uh, well, the easy answer is that's not completely figured out yet. <laughs> but, um, you, so the way it's handled now is you have very detailed maps. And you have much more, uh, you have much higher resolution GPS. And you have, you have certain waypoints and certain landmarks that you can recognize even if there is snow. Um, so again, it goes back to the multi-sensors. You know, that would, that would trick one sensor, but it's not going to trick all of the sensors. Yes? Have you done any research on uh, the more autonomy there is in, in driving these cars, um, if it just reduces driver skill so that it might save yeah. some areas, but if people can include this after a while when they have to take over, they don't know what to do? Yeah, no, that's actually a good point. I, I, I will say that's something that we've discussed. I won't say that we've done research on that yet, but we certainly thought about that and discussed that because you're absolutely right. One of the mid-steps would be that the car drives itself most of the time, and maybe it goes into some kind of safe mode, and it transitions in some safe way to the driver. Well, if the driver hasn't, you know, if the driver's only driving three minutes a day, then, you know, that's perhaps, how does this impact their skill? And especially if they're a 17-year-old and they didn't have any skill in the first place. You're right. Yes? Do you guys have some interesting discussions following the uh, crash in San Francisco recently? Uh, just think in terms of, you know, like we were talking about, you have uh, pilots that are, you know, Oh, the airplane crash. Okay. Yeah. 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 Now, what I'm interested to see, and, and certainly we have, but what, what I'm interested to see is, um, is to suspend judgment until... I, I haven't read today what happens. Um, what we do know is that some, you know, over, over 80% of accidents are, are driver error. And, and in the case of airplanes, you know, pilot error... Um, so, you know, again, the, the difficult thing for society is going to be that first accident that's the computer's fault, right, on, on a vehicle. Um, because most of the time, the airline industry, usually it's, accidents are when the pilot or the, or the um, co-pilot make a poor decision against what the computer recommends. And I'm sure there's experts in here above me, yeah. So what you need for that is the car black box constantly recording what your autonomous vehicle drive is doing. And then you record when you avoid an accident. And you have to press out of that. So if this was a human driver, you know, yeah. 90 percent chance that would have been an accident of X severity, right? And now you've got that. So when you have that accident, then you really put it in the balance. So yes, the robot caused one accident, but avoided nine yeah. after the human. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and the hopes the hopes is that you know that the Courts agree with that, right? That, that 90% improvement is a good thing. Um, yes? Is there anything about an electric car that makes it easier? Um, I, I, would say, I would say yes. There's a few reasons why that's true. Um, one of which is the drive-by-wire, for example. Are, are we on now? Uh, Kyo's in, yeah. So go ahead and finish up the... Okay, and we'll, okay. Uh, and give, you know, given that um, we have the Nissan Leaf, we, we believe that to be true as well. Um, you know, and I was, I was talking to Paul Sappho, with, with my friend Kimmy over there, and as, as he said, um, some, something seems just um, improper about having an autonomous vehicle that runs on gas. You know, it's just like, you might as well have oxen, right? I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> There's no future in that. <laughs> All right, thanks, everybody. All right, thanks. It's great. Sure.